This morning we're starting a new series uh, called FBC. What does FBC stand for? What does First Baptist Church Port Orange stand for? It's an acrostic. So each Sunday we're going to talk about the F, the B, the C, the P, and the O, and how they live into our purposes as a church. And so we've gathered here, and there's people all over the world that are going to gather at uh, at different places, whether it's homes, buildings, uh, high schools, theaters, all kinds of different buildings and shapes and places, but they're still the same thing. They're churches. They're groups of people gathered to worship and to be discipled and to grow in their faith and to share that faith with others. And so as we begin to look at what are we all about, why do we do this? We're starting a new school year. People are getting new rhythms and patterns in their life. A lot of things are getting settled into what we do in our day-to-day life. And so it's important to understand why do we take time out of our lives? What are we trying to accomplish? Why has God planted this church at this place for this time? And so we're going to look at how does that apply to us individually and what does that mean for us on a corporate level. And so to begin with, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 16. This is where Jesus, where we learn where the church even came from. Matthew chapter 16 verse 13 says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, the son of, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And here's the key. He gets to, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So when Peter recognized who Jesus truly was, when Peter recognized that Jesus was the one that the entire Bible, from the fall in Genesis, when God said that woman, the snake would pierce your heel, but the son of man would strike your head, would crush your head, all the way to Abraham, I will make you a great nation, and through you will become the Redeemer. And then through uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses, and the promised people and the, the original prophets, the, the, uh, the prophets that spoke of grand things, the major prophets and the ones that talked about very individual things, the minor prophets, all spoke about this Messiah, this one that was to come and to make things right between man and God. And when Peter recognized that this was that man, this was the one they'd been waiting for, this is the Messiah. He's not a prophet. He is not John the Baptist. He is the Savior of the universe. He said, this is what I understand to be true, and I believe it. And after he recognized that, Jesus said, you didn't understand this on your own knowledge. God gave it to you. And because you understand that, you can be part of my mission. You can be part of my plan. And my plan is to build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overtake it. And that is what we are a part of today. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus made that claim to Peter, he was talking about us. And the gates of Hades have not overtaken. You know, Christianity is still the fastest growing religion in the world. More people are coming to Christ than any other faith in this world. It's not as fast in the United States as it used to be. It's not as fast in Europe as it used to be. But it is uh, exponentially fast in Africa and India and China. China has more Christians today than the U.S. has. 
And so we are living in a new era of how God is working, but he is working. He is doing mighty things. And so we are to lift him up in praise. And so the question becomes, is it our responsibility is it, as a group of people to build this? Are we to make it bigger and stronger and use our abilities to do that? The truth is, is Jesus is going to build it. Jesus is going to build it, but he's only going to use obedient disciples, right? He's looking for obedience, not ability, because he's the ability giver. He's the gift giver. He's looking for availability and obedience. And so this morning, when we look at this concept of what do we stand for, what are we all about as a church, we need to recognize these things. Now, clarity is important. We're told that uh, where there is no clarity, the people falter or fall apart. And so we want to have clarity. So we want to declare our mission this morning. What is our mission as a church? Our mission is to be disciples who make disciples of all generations. It starts with me. I need to be a disciple. My mission in life is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I want to then help others to become disciples. My children, my family, my neighbors, this church. I want to help make disciples. And then who do I want to help make disciples of? Every generation. Do you know what every generation encompasses? Every type of person. Race, gender, whatever it is. Every generation needs to be reached for Christ. And so our mission... If we choose to accept it, is to be disciples who make disciples of all generations. What's the vision then? What can we see God doing? Wouldn't it be amazing to have a church that multiplies disciples? A healthy, multiplying church that's building disciples. That I will reach six, and you will reach six, and they will reach six, and that multiplication will grow, and then eventually we'll reach all of Port Orange, and all of Daytona, and all of Florida. Now, not everyone's going to receive, not everyone's going to believe, but we are intentionally reaching to multiply, working with other brothers and sisters, working with others that are connected into the true uh, Bible-based, Christ-centered mission of the gospel. And so that is how we grow forward. And we look to the future and we say children and children's children. You know, one of the things that's healthy about a church is when every, every generation is represented. From infants to senior adults, everyone's there. Because that's what heaven is made up of. Every generation, every type of person. And so what is our strategy? Well, we want to train and equip leaders who lead and grow worship, fellowship, disciple, ministry, and missions. How are we going to accomplish this is by you doing whatever God gave you to do. I look out here and I see a lot of different types of people. Every single one of you was put on earth on purpose. Look around. Everyone in this room was put here on purpose. Everyone was put on purpose to come to this church and to use your gifts and abilities for you to come to Christ so he can empower you and give you a gift so you can use that gift for the furtherment of his kingdom, for growing and expanding and reaching more people so that they can have hope and have freedom from sin. We are the answer that God has for the world's problems. It's not the government. It's not laws. It's the church of Jesus Christ. And so we need to follow through with that. So how do, what are, if, the, if this is what we're talking, our mission and our vision and our strategy, what, it, what, are, what are our goals every week? Well, here are the wins that I'm, that I'm looking to God. I'm saying this is a wonderful thing that can happen in our church. What is a wonderful thing that can happen in the church? New believers. Someone, if you come to Christ, that is a, something worth celebrating. That is worth getting excited about. When people come to Christ, that is the biggest win in life. 
That this is the victory. This is where God wants to work in our lives. Last week when we had the baptism, what an amazing win a baptism is. What an amazing victory a baptism to see someone commit themselves and to share that with the world. When someone becomes a member of the church or someone attends the church or there's new leaders or people are actively serving or there's growing commitment, whether it is to serving or giving or, or being a leader in the church, maturing. When I hear stories, when we hear stories of marriages that are healed, that addictions are overcome, challenges are over, overtaken by the, by the Spirit of God, the maturing of the saints. Those are what the church is all about. That's why we exist, is to see the gospel produce fruit in the world. And that's what the church is here for, is for us to be a part of that mission, to be part of that strategy of what God is doing. And then finally, multi-generational. Right now, if you look around the room, we lean in a certain direction. And that's great. But a true church needs to have every generation represented. A true church of Jesus Christ, we need to have crying babies in here. We need to have little toddlers that can't behave and walk, run around, right? We need to help them mature and become uh, well-behaved children. But we would love it that we had that problem, Right? We would love to have families with children and every generation represented. And so that's what we're asking God to do. So part of a win is to see young families and young people get engaged and get involved. Because the truth is, we're all part of a chain. And this church is part of a chain. And if there's no one on the other end to carry on the chain, then the chain ends. And we don't want that to happen. None of us wants to be the last group at First Baptist Port Orange. We want there to be a great generation that comes after us and a great generation that comes after them serving and loving Jesus. And so that leads us to why do we do what we do? What is First Baptist Port Orange all about? The F stands for a friendly fellowship. A friendly fellowship. Now, I don't know your story. I don't know if your parents made you go to church when you were a kid and you just been doing it your whole life. I don't know if you had a radical experience in your life where you came to Jesus and your whole life was changed and you fell in love with the church. Um, I don't know if you just came because a friend told you you should come check this out. Um, I found out today we have one of our wonderful uh, workers, servers here in the church came because we were doing um, the garage sale, the yard sale, and there was a need. And they felt loved and welcomed here, so they, they've stuck around. And now they're on fire for the Lord here, sharing Jesus uh, with deed. I don't know how you got here, but I know for me, when I started out in the church, it was because mom and dad said, you're going to church whether you like it or not, right? Too bad if you don't want to go. You don't, this isn't democracy, this is dictatorship, and we're telling you you're going. And so I grew up, my dad was the pastor, every time the doors were open, I was there. I mowed the lawn, I cleaned the bathrooms, and I didn't get paid for it. <laughs> it wasn't a choice, right? I was voluntold. I had never volunteered, right? So, but you know what happened for me personally was I was in a youth program with people that were in my age bracket, and we did fun things together, and I built friendships, and those friendships got to a place where if I wasn't there, I knew I was missed, and I knew I missed it because I like being with those people. Did I love Jesus? Did I love his word? Was I on fire for the Lord? No, at that time. But I did like people there. I had friendships. And those friendships kept me Velcroed to the church. 
And then over the years, as I listened, and these messages were repeated over and over. Jesus loves you. Jesus desires for you to be obedient. Here's what he wants you to be obedient with. It began to sink in. Oh, this is truth. This is beneficial. This is helpful. But it was the friendships that opened the door to my heart so I would become a mature follower. And for many, many people, they have to belong before they believe. They have to feel welcome. They have to feel like this is a friendly place to connect before they're ever going to consider the message that we're sharing all the time. And so my, my encouragement to us as a church, Jesus went out and he met a felt need first. Did you know that? He healed the sick. He healed them. They didn't come to him to hear theology. They came to get healed. But in healing them, he shared the good news of the gospel and they got saved. Jesus showed the greatest form of friendship. Now, in church, our history hasn't been that great. We've had a lot of problems in the big C church, the church of the the world. We've really messed up in a lot of areas and made mistakes. And God has confronted us with those mistakes, and we've had to repent of those mistakes. One of the areas we've we've really um, struggled with was accepting people so that they could come to Christ. Instead of getting right and coming to Jesus, um, we expected them to get right and come to the church before they came to Jesus. And that caused a lot of problems. If you go to the next slide, many of you know this individual is Gandhi in India. Gandhi made the quote that he said, I I like the Jesus of the Bible, I just don't like his followers. Because when he visited a church, they made him sit in a separate spot, and they treated him with disgrace and with no dignity. And those who claimed to be the followers of Christ were the least like Christ to him. And so the gospel, the gospel is empowered when the power of the gospel is in us. A powerless person is hard, very difficult for the gospel to be revealed through them. And the power of the gospel is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. It's not looking at someone and, and saying how horrible they are, it's welcoming them say, you're loved here. We want you to find the answer to life. And so our first value is friendly fellowship. And we've got a lot of work to do, all of us individually. How can I work at this more? But it's something that's so valuable and so important. And so this morning, who are your friends? You know, when I was in youth ministry, I'd always say, show us your friends, we'll show you who you are. Right? Your friends are a really good reflection of who you are. The church should be a friendly place because this is the greatest message and this is the greatest thing that anyone can hear and can be transforming in their life. And so we want to commit to how can we do a little bit better at this? How can we ask God to bless us in this? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. What does God have to say about a friendly fellowship? What does he have to tell us this morning so that we know how to live? Let's precede it with prayer. Father God, we thank you for your love. We know you're holy and you're just and you're righteous and you're kind and you're patient. And Lord, all the things that we see that are good are only good because of you. And Lord, as we look at your words and we listen and we think and we ponder and we consider our ways and consider your ways. Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts, that we wouldn't be defensive or angry, 
but that we would be welcoming to your Spirit's teaching. Lord, that we would be open to whatever it is you have for us. And that, Lord, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind now. That we would not conform to the ways of this world. But, Lord, that we would sacrifice. We would be living sacrifices in a form of worship to you as we desire to know and follow your ways to the best of our ability. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Following Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he met with his disciples, and he told them that he had to leave because the helper, the Holy Spirit, would not come until he left. And so we're told in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, that he gave them a commission, and then he ascended to heaven. And after he ascended to heaven, they went and they prayed and fasted, asking God what was to happen next. And we, we learned that there was an amazing event called Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon the leaders of the churches, they were praying for guidance, and they began to share the gospel with their community, and that this was the birth of the church. And this radically transformed not only the disciples, but that whole area of the world and the world as we know it today. Peter, who was ashamed to know that he was uh, friends or, or acquaintances with Jesus when he was uh, to put on the cross, now was the most vocal and outspoken of the leaders about who Jesus was, confronting the Pharisees that they were the reason Jesus was put on the cross. And so he's one of the leaders that's leading this new uh, movement of the church. And now we see, after it's been established, we, we connect. Luke does an amazing job of, of recording what was the first church like. How, what did Jesus start his church to look like, that group of people? And here's what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Here's what they were like. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which the apostles is Peter and John and Paul, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to one another who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so the first church basically abandoned everything and came together and said, this is our life now. This is who we are. And they would gather in the synagogue to learn and be taught the words of God. They would break bread. They would have meals together. And if anyone had need, they would share with each other. Now, we live in a strange time. We, we, unfortunately, maybe your mind went to communism as soon as I said some of these things. That's a government structure. The church structure is Christ-centered. This isn't giving a government style. This is giving a church style. It's not trying to tell us how we should run our government. It's telling us how should we run the church. And the church should be like a family. The greatest organization, the greatest symbol of what the church should be like is a body and a family. These are the two things we're given as the examples of what we're to be like. And if there's parts of the body that fight against each other, the body gets sick and dies. And so this is the example we're given is that these people loved each other. They spent time with each other. And we live in a challenging time because there's the temptation to just come to church, this building, and sit and sing a song together, listen to a message, and then that's it. That's all it is. 
And that's never what church was intended to be. Church is a deep, meaningful, impactful relationship with Christ through other believers. The gathering. That's why when we went through the lockdowns, it was such a, a significant event because it was taking away from the physical connection that we are supposed to have. To connect with each other. Like ligaments in the body. Like veins through your body. Like your skeleton system. Your skeletal system. All of these things are essential. Just like us meeting together and gathering together. And all of us using our gifts and abilities together to keep the church healthy and growing. That's the church that Jesus is building. That's the church that Jesus wants to use. But unfortunately... What we see over time is the church loses these qualities. It's not committed to each other. It's not committed to breaking bread. It's not concerned about the needs of those around. And we fall from this, just like in our own personal lives. It's so easy to get on the wrong path. It's so easy to walk away from what we should be. And we get onto the path that leads to destruction. And so here, there are some problems that are revealed in Scripture. I call them the friendship killers in church. The friendship killers in church. James, the brother of Jesus, writes in chapter 2, verse 1 through 9, My brothers and sisters, believers in your glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, Here is a good seat for you. But you say to the poor man, you stand there, or you sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? The challenge of the church, and this is the beginning. This this already saturated itself into the Jerusalem church. The same church in Acts that was doing all these wonderful things and building favor in the community. All of a sudden now, the rich had a better seat and the poor had a, a seat on the side on the floor discrimination, judgment, value judgment, based on what? What did they value judge on? Appearance. They look rich. They seem to be rich. They're going to get the best seat. They look poor. They look needy. They get the worst seat. And this has happened in the church all over the place, that we judge people on their exterior appearance And we treat them differently based on our internal judgment. And James is saying this cannot happen. The church cannot be known as a place. If you're rich, you're going to get a lot of pats on the back. And if you're poor, you're going to get a lot of dirty looks. It cannot be a place where everyone who walks through the door, we analyze and determine of what value does this person have. We cannot be that. We cannot be, that is not the church, that is not what Jesus will grow, that is not gospel-centered, that is not the mission, that is the opposite of the mission. To look at someone and to internally judge who they are and then treat them based on that eternal judgment is sin that God will not bless and that a church will die an organization that claims Christ will die if they live by that method or approach. It'll kill the friendship and it will kill the gospel message within the church. Galatians. 
And so the question is, do we judge people? Do we look down on people? Do we show favoritism? Galatians 2, 11 through 14, when Caiaphas, Peter's original name, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. This is Paul writing this. For before certain men uh, claim from, came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and to separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcised group. The group of circumcision. And the other, Jews, the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. Though that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Caiaphas, in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Peter when James was around, was kind to everyone. He associated with the Gentiles. He associated with the Roman and the Greek type of people, the people that were opposite of the Jewish people, the people that had come to Christ. They were part of the body, and yet they were different. They didn't have the the foundational tools that the Jewish people had. They hadn't had all the laws, the 613 laws taught to them about what it was to be Jewish. And so Peter, over time, he has tempted to stop hanging out with this group because they were not the right group. And Paul comes in and he says, that is wrong. It is sin. You're a hypocrite. When you join a clique in a church and you say, we are not the rest of this church. We don't associate with them. We don't talk to them. We don't have any relationship with them because of this or that. That is hypocrisy to the gospel. And we're not, there's no room for it. Jesus will not use us to grow his church. If that's the lens in which we look at life. If we build groups and cliques and this is our group and that's their group and we don't associate. And I've seen it. I'm almost 20 years in full-time ministry. This is the temptation. This is how Satan destroys. This is how the enemy gets in and divides and conquers churches. It gets the us versus the them. Anytime I hear us and them in a church, I know the enemy has made his way in. There is no us in them. There's just us. That's it. There's no Jew, no Gentile, no Greek. No male, no female in Christ. We're all one. There's only one. And we deny that truth when we break off and make us and them categories. And it kills friendship and it kills churches. And then finally, Hebrews 10, 24 And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some of you are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Even in the beginning of the church, the gathering for some was was not a high commitment on their agenda. It wasn't a high priority. When it comes down to the week, if it works out, if, if there's no rain and there's nothing on TV I want to watch, and if I, have, I wake up in a good attitude, possibly I'll show up, or possibly I'll go to that Bible study, or possibly if everything in the universe aligns perfectly to make it as easy as possible, I'll show up. Because the commitment shows our heart. The commitment shows our love. 
The greatest form of love is self-sacrificial love. It's a love that says, I will sacrifice my own wants and desires for you. I'm not going to do this because I'm guilted into do it. I'm not going to do this even because it's a responsibility for me to do. I'm going to do this because I love Jesus and I want to grow and I want to become what he wants me to become. And I want to have friendships to where I'm missed when I'm not there and I miss it when I'm not there. That's why we need a friendly fellowship. If we're a fellowship that just speaks the truth but we have no love for each other, there's no power and there's, there will be no growth. There will be no multiplication if all we do is talk about the truth. If all we do is gather and sing about the truth and, and talk about the truth, but don't apply it. Jesus is very clear. The whole New Testament is very clear. That love is what leads it to movement. His love led him to die for us. His love calls us to, to love others, even when they're unlovable. Friendship is not, they give you everything you want. They are exactly who you think they should be. Friendship is being willing to ask for forgiveness and to give forgiveness. So that's the answer. So we have a, obviously there's a problem, and this is for every church everywhere, right? What's the solution for all the churches? What's the solution that we need to focus our hearts and minds on? Colossians 3.12, it tells us, it gives us the answer. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as a member of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to God the Father through him. And so here's what we're to do. We're to be grateful for each other. And guess what? I'm going to do things, you're like, ah, that wasn't very good. And you're going to do things, I'm like, ah, I don't know why they did that. And I can have one of two responses. I can hold it against you, be angry, and just be like, well, they've let me down. Or I can say, that's okay. Let's just keep moving on. Let's encourage each other. Let's look to do better next time. Let's uplift each other, support each other, be gracious and merciful and kind. I don't have to beat them up. They don't need to beat me up. We can work it out. We can find peace or we can fight. Fighting won't get us anywhere. It'll just destroy us. And so we need some grace. I need to find two good things I like about you before I find the one I don't. And even with the one I don't, I need to find a place of forgiveness and encouragement to help you in it. If it's something obvious, sin, then I just walk alongside you and say, hey, let's talk about this. How can I help you overcome this? If it's not sin and it's just my opinion and it's just something that's something I prefer, then I'm going to have to sacrifice that and say my opinion is not more important than our friendship. What I like isn't more important than me showing you respect and dignity and encouraging you. 
My preferences don't come first on the priority list. Because all of these things come back to the original thing we started with. Jesus is going to build his church. And there's two types of churches in the world. There are Velcro churches and there are Teflon churches. Right? Velcro churches welcome you in and say, we're glad you're here. Join us and be part of this. Be part of what God's doing. His mission is life-giving. His mission is the reason we exist. Come be a part of that. Belong to this. Be part of this. You've been made for this. And just like Velcro, they come together and stick. A rock or Kevlar, it comes and it falls away. Right? You're not part of our clique. You don't look the right way. You don't talk the right way. You don't know enough about the Bible. You don't have the background I have. You're not like me. You're too much like the world. You're the problem. When we do that, there's no growth. That's not the church. That's not the mission. We can judge the world and we can tell everyone how they're wrong and we'll meet God and he's not happy with us doing that. That's not the mission. We've missed the mission. The mission is to say, Jesus has died so you can be freed from whatever sin is in your life and you can have an eternal relationship with him, a loving, meaningful, eternal relationship. And it's not just an average relationship. It's the greatest relationship you can have. How do I know that? Let me share with you. Here in John chapter 15, verse 5, it says, I no longer, this is Jesus talking, I no longer call you a servant because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, Jesus is saying this, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus calls us friends. Jesus misses us when we don't pursue him. Jesus cries for us. We're told that Jesus is the mediator, the go-between, and he prays for us to the Father. He desperately loves you. He is the perfect friend. And he has every reason to look at you and condemn you, but he has forgiven you through his sacrifice. He's offering you forgiveness. He offers every one of us forgiveness. And friendship. This morning, do we want to be a healthy, friendly fellowship? Do you know how we become even? And I think we're doing a good job of this. I'm going to tell you, I told this to the group this morning, our, our special needs guys. I said, you are the most amazing example for me and for this church. They, they walk from a home. They come down here. They have smiles and hugs and they're encouraging, and they're uplifting, and they don't, it, I, trying to explain this concept to them is even hard because you guys are just full of life and love. Amen. And you know what? What would it look like if we all were like that? If every single one of us, all the time, people just saw a smile on our face, and they knew, I love you, and I want the very best for you no matter who you are. What if everyone that ever met you felt that way? What if you walked around and people just felt like you cared deeply about them and you wanted the best for them? And you didn't have your own agenda. You weren't trying to use them to get something. You weren't trying to make your own way happen. You were just genuinely careful and you 
wanted to encourage and uplift that person? What would that look like? What an amazing opportunity we have to do that. An amazing opportunity. You know what I've learned, and you probably already know this. For us to be a healthy church and have healthy friendships, it's a 50-50 deal. For us to be a healthy friendship, it's 50-50. It's not 90-10. It's not 20-80. It's 50-50. Right? I encourage you, you encourage me. I forgive you, you forgive me. I support you, you support me. Anytime that gets out of whack, it kills friendship and it kills a friendly fellowship. When it becomes, well, I'm assuming you're going to take the burden. I'm assuming you're going to take the weight. And I'm just going to take a little bit of it. See, what happens is we can come and we can believe the lie that we have nothing to offer. Every single one of us has so much to offer through Christ. You have so much to offer everyone in this room. Every one of us has so much to offer each each other. But we have to be willing to give. If I give mine, you give yours, then we're meeting in the middle, and there's power in that, and there's the Holy Spirit's working in us. That's how he designed it. Every part of the universe works like this, including the church. It's a purposeful thing that God did, that you give your 50 and I give my 50, and that makes the 100, and all of us doing this together multiplies. And then you know what becomes of the church? It comes to a place where people feel the love of Christ when they're here. And it's not just here. They go to a Bible study and they feel welcomed in the love of Christ there. And they come to Thursday or Tuesday and they feel the love of Christ in their food pantry time. And they come to our event on this weekend and they feel the love of Christ there. And that everything we do together, I'm so happy you're here. I'm so glad you're a part of this. You're giving your half and I'm giving my half and it's making a whole. And if I don't give my half, then it's not going to be whole. Are we willing to do that? Make that commitment. So what's the application? Be intentionally, be intentional about being friendly. All right, I'm not going to do a poll. I realize a lot of you don't like to raise your hand in church. I get it. But if I was to ask you, are you an introvert? You like to be by yourself. You don't like people coming up and talking to you. You'd rather just be left alone. Okay? Or are you an extrovert? You love making new friends all the time, and you just want to make more, and you love being out there. Do you know both sides of that coin God wants to use? If you're an introvert, you got to get stretched a little bit, make a couple friends. You don't have to make friends with everybody. Just go to a Bible study and make six friends. Come to a group, be a part of a group. Make, make a few close Bible-believing friends. You know, if you're an extrovert, you don't have to force everyone to be an extrovert. You can let them be an introvert. You don't have to make them feel bad or guilty. You know who made them an introvert? God. And he has a purpose for it. And that's part of their shape. And God's going to use that if they're, if they're willing to be obedient. Just like you're being an extrovert. You have to be careful that you truly care about people. And that you're not just making a lot of connections on a superficial level. And so both of these are powerful and important for us to recognize. I need to be more intentional. This is not something that naturally happens. You know what naturally, you know this, I know this. Naturally, I'm selfish. If I don't think about it, if I'm not intentional about it, I'm going to be selfish. 
So I need to intentionally work at this, like any relationship. I need to work at it. We need to work at it. Next, avoid friendship killers. If you're you're beginning to see that there's a click or there's gossip or there's backbiting or there's negativity or there's undermining of other people, be very careful. You're You're in a group killer. You're in a friend killer. Be very careful. More churches die of this than anything else. And if you kill a church, you'll stand before the Lord. We will all be held accountable. His bride is the church. Just think about that. His bride is the church. You will be held accountable if you kill one of his brides, if you kill one that's part of his bride. That's a significant thing I consider all the time on how I react and what I do. Next, get involved. We have all kinds of things going on on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We have a Bible study on Wednesday. We have Sunday school at 930 where you can connect. We're trying to start new areas so everyone will have a place where they can really open up and talk about their own life and talk about what's going on so we can pray for them and encourage them. And I can get to know you and you can get to know me. That's the whole purpose, to be unified in Christ. Get involved. Make a commitment of your time, even if it's just a Sunday morning and a a Wednesday afternoon. Make a commitment. Get involved. It'll help. And then finally, ask God to help you. This isn't natural. We don't naturally do these things. We need the Lord's help. For us to be a friendly fellowship and for that to be what we're about, we're going to have to ask the Lord to help us every Sunday. Because you know what? I wake up cranky. Right? I don't always want to talk to everybody. But I ask the Lord, please help me. Help me not to be so cranky. Help me to be an encourager today. Help me to support someone today. I don't know what it is that God needs to work in your life, but he needs to work in all of our lives. So let's ask him for that help. How is that going to work? If I don't have a relationship with God, I can't ask him to help me. To have a relationship with God, you have to be twice born. Romans 10, 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved, and you'll be born spiritually. And when you're born spiritually, you're the friend of Jesus, you're the child of God, and he listens and talks to you as a friend and as a father who loves you. And he talks about how you can be a friend of others, and he encourages you on how to do that. One of the ways we do that is we trust the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. What is God telling you this morning? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. and all your ways, submit to him. He'll make your path straight. We will not be able to achieve anything on our own power. But if we put our trust in the Lord, not leaning on our own understandings, acknowledging,